This podcast is one of a series of short audio essays on individual emotions. It's brought to you by the Queen Mary Centre for the History of the Emotions, where we look to the past to understand our feelings in the present. In this episode, Gabriel Schwartzman reflects on feelings of shame, starting with an unusually intimate trial in the 15th century. Allow me to transport you back in time to the city of York, in the north of England in 1432. We are upstairs in a room of a house, as part of a group who are gathered there to witness a man called John Scatholock's efforts to prove his sexual potency. The stakes are high for John. His wife, Alice, has asked the church for their marriage to be annulled, on the grounds of John's inability to fulfil his marital obligation to have sex with her, known as the conjugal debt. If Alice is right, not only will the marriage end, but John will be publicly exposed as impotent. To decide whether to annul the marriage and allow Alice to remarry, the church court has to decide if his impotence is natural and permanent or unnatural, caused by witchcraft and sorcery. If the cause is found to be unnatural, then John and Alice will stay married. It's not an easy process. The procedure was first outlined in the 12th century by the monk and legal scholar Gratian. He said the couple had to live together for three years and honestly try to consummate their marriage. If that did not work, the church court would have to gather evidence about his impotence. They did this by organising the physical examination of the man in a semi-public location by church-appointed wise women, who could testify to his condition. This is where we find ourselves now, in the upstairs room in York. The women who were selected for this task were those presumed to have some sexual knowledge, so were usually wives, widows, and known sex workers. This was a fascinating and rare example where wives were allowed to interact sexually with someone else's husband, and sex workers were not going to be punished. John is standing, keeping warm by a large fire, eating cakes and drinking ale with the witnesses. He has undressed down to the knees so that the seven female witnesses can verify whether he is impotent. This has nothing to do with fertility, but only whether John can become physically aroused. The women seem to have taken the opportunity to magnify John's shame by mocking him during the examination. They kiss, touch and talk to John, hoping for a physical response, but with no luck. According to the recorded testimony, at the end of the examination, the women cursed the man for his failure and walked out. As historians of emotions, we can try to imagine what John Scatholock might have felt at that moment. Obviously, we can never know for sure, but it's hardly a reach to imagine that being undressed and ordered to prove his virility in front of witnesses and then failing to do so, might have resulted in his feeling shame. But what is shame, and how has it changed over time? Coming from the Old English word skamu, meaning a painful feeling of disgrace, dishonour, insult, loss of esteem or reputation, shame is thought of as a negative emotion, involving a desire to hide and withdraw. We often say shame is something that can be inflicted on someone else. 
Feeling ashamed happens when we realise that we've broken the rules of the social group that we want to belong to. There is nothing shameful about doing something that no one else considers shameful. Each society has their own sliding scale from what is honourable and acceptable to the unacceptable and dishonourable. Shame is also linked to embarrassment, which specifically involves shameful behaviour being publicised. A more purely private and internal feeling experienced after breaking social norms might be experienced as guilt. Those social norms have always included beliefs about proper sexual behaviour. And in the Middle Ages, sex was thought of as involving a masculine active agent and a feminine passive recipient. At his impotence trial, John's failure to live up to society's expectations of a sexually capable man was exposed quite probably causing him to feel shame as an emotional response and a desire to hide what had been revealed. The women gathered at the impotence trial as witnesses had demanded that, for shame, he should then and there prove and render himself a man. It is interesting that the Latin word here used for shame is pudore, which is etymologically linked to pudenda, meaning genitalia. This connection in turn gave rise to the Middle English word shamefuls as a term for the genitals. So the history of the language of shame encompasses feelings of humiliation as well as ideas about modesty and exposure. The unusual example of the impotence trial allows us to think historically about exposure and shame, but also about how shame has been used throughout history as a form of punishment and social regulation. The idea that John was embarrassed or felt shame feels obvious, but it's even more interesting to think that this result might have been what motivated Alice to bring her case to court in the first place, to intentionally publicly shame her husband, maybe for having failed to provide her with children, rather than living quietly in her sexless marriage. We might think about public shaming as a feature of a distant past, from locking people in stocks to dunce caps in classrooms, But today, public shaming has new life online, where the public forum has expanded from the physical space of the town square to a vast, unregulated online world, especially in the language of exposing someone with the intention to shame them for their misbehaviour. Always, shame is a mirror that reflects back to us what is and is not considered socially acceptable. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It's part of the Living with Feeling project funded by the Wellcome Trust. We hope it helped you feel better. To find out more about our work and hear more of our podcast series, please visit emotionslab.org.